0: Thank you, Randy. appreciate you reading for us this morning. As we go throughout Advent, we're going to be looking at some of the different uh, uh, focuses we have going into that season. And as I mentioned this morning, uh, we are focusing uh, this first week on faithfulness, and specifically the faithfulness of God. And in Psalm 100, we find one of the beautiful pictures and songs that the early church had uh, that they would sing together... For God's glory and what I want to show you this morning is I want to show you what true worship of God is based on because as we go through this season we're going to try to make worship of God based on uh, how many presents we get or or who does what for us and so often we lose sight of the fact that worship belongs to God not simply because of what he can do for us but primarily worship belongs to God because of who he is so what I want to show you this morning is why God should be worshipped. And how true worship of God is based on who he is. And if true worship of God is based on who he is, then that worship should never change. Now let me be honest with you. Can I be honest for a second? I I hate that word, though. It sounds like I'm going to lie to you the rest of the time. Um, Let me just have a real ultra-honest moment with you, a time of transparency. Um, There have been plenty of times and seasons of my life Where I have failed to worship God as I should. And some of those seasons, most of those seasons, are usually the ones marked by some kind of difficulty. Um, I don't know if anyone else in here has ever gone through it, but there are seasons of life when you just financially don't have a lot. I don't know if any of you have ever remembered those seasons in life when you look at the checkbook and you go, wait a second, uh, that number is lower than what it should be. I don't know if any of you have ever gone to the bank and gotten a printout of your statement only to find that you, they have these, this big negative sign next to it. Your worship of God can change quite quickly in times of great distress, in times of struggle, in times of affliction. And in my life, that has certainly been true. One of the things that I think God's Word points us to is that worship of him does not fluctuate based on circumstances because who God is doesn't fluctuate. And if that's what worship is based off of, then even when the the checking account is negative 1,000, God is still God. And even when the kids are acting like jerks, God is still God. Even when your job is in the tank, God is still God. And as such, we have reason to worship. And what I want to show you from Psalm 100 is God's call that you and I would worship him. He is beckoning us to worship him, and he's going to tell us exactly why. You ready for this? Okay, here we go, because i got seven things. Well, I don't. God does. God has seven things. How do I know that in Psalm 100? Because there are seven imperatives. Does anybody know what an imperative is? It's a must. It's a command. You clean your room. That's an imperative. Go clean your room. I'm not telling you. I'm sure your room is great. But When you have children, you tell them, go. you're not suggesting they go do that. You're not saying, hey, here's a helpful hint. You're saying, I command you to go clean your room. That's an imperative. Psalm 100 has seven in five verses. You ready? Here are the commands of God to you and to me. That we worship him. And I want you to see the beautiful picture of what worship of God is like. Because worship of God is not something that you do begrudgingly. Worship of God is something that flows out of knowing who he is. So let's look at these seven together. Let's take it bit by bit. Notice in verse 1 he says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. That is a command. God says you will make a joyful noise. You will. That's his command. Make a joyful noise. It reminds you quickly of Psalm 98, verse 6, when he says, With trumpets and the sound of the horn, make a joyful noise before the king, the Lord. So God says you make a joyful noise to him. All right, everybody. You say, man, God's really conceited, isn't he? Man, this this God is self-centered. Make a joyful noise to him. Well, that just, if you got to, right, you're sitting there going, well, if you got to tell somebody to do that, then are you really worthy of it? Psalm 98, the psalmist says we make a joyful noise to the king, the Lord. Uh Uh-oh. That means he's worthy of it. You are to make a joyful noise. The, the, the joyful noise word used here and in Psalm 98 is a word that, that is closely connected to the shouts that a king would get of honor when he entered the area. So when the king showed up, everyone went, Woo! King is here! Right? Glorious is the king. And they would make a joyful noise. Now, some kings, you just rather... But not this king, not the Lord. When when the king shows up, the proper response to the king is to make a joyful noise. Now, we use this verse to talk about all the people who can't sing very well. right? Just make a joyful noise to the Lord. right? But that's not exactly what the text is getting at. The text isn't basically just saying, okay, for all the tone-deaf people in the room, make a joyful noise. All the rest of us are going to sing on key. No, this is make a joyful noise. And what this is, is it's a shout of acclamation to God saying that he is worthy of all things. And when does the shouting begin? When the king appears. When the king shows up, then you start. I mean, you can make a joyful noise before the king gets there, but he ain't going to hear it. You're going to make a joyful noise when the king shows up because you're excited the king is there. Well, God says make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. So when the king appears, joyful noise is what is expected in worship of God. Well, let me ask you, has the king appeared? Yeah. The answer is yes. Yeah. You can't put it all on Brother Bob to get you through this, all right? Somebody else is going to, have to speak up because Brother Bob's answering all the questions. Yes, the answer is yes. The king has showed up, hasn't he? Man. You're about to unwrap presents because of it. You. The king has shown up. And as a result, he deserves joyful noises being made when he's there. Let me ask you, is God still present right now? Has God left? Is God distant from us? So let me ask you, should we still be making joyful noises? Oh oh, 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 now see right because now we're not just showing up and going oh who who all blessings, right? We're we're singing joyfully whether you sing good or not. We sing joyfully why? Because the King is here, and in His presence, what do His subjects do? They sing joyfully to Him. Oh, Christians in the room! Christians in the room! we got to sing joyfully. we got to make a joyful noise to our God because he is the king. And he's here. And, and I'm thankful that God in his word does not leave anything ambiguous. You know, he doesn't leave anything out. Because when he says here in verse 1, make a joyful noise, he tells us who to make a joyful noise to. To the... Does anybody notice anything unique about the spelling of Lord in your Bible? All capitals. Sorry. (laughs) All capitals. Now, what does that mean when you see Lord in the Bible in all capitals? What does it mean? Lord God. God. What is being signified by the all capitalizing? The The only one. Say it again, brother. The name of God. remember I've told you in the past, there's not many names for God. There's there's not a lot of names for God. There's a lot of descriptors of God. But there's only one name. It's a name so revered that the Jewish people won't even say it. It is the name of God given at the burning bush. When Moses says, who shall I say has sent me? That name of God marks him as distinct from everything else. He says, make a joyful noise to the Lord, the God, the only one. And notice he tells us who are his subjects. So if he's the Lord, that means he's the king. Who are his subjects? You see that in verse 1? Who are his subjects? All the earth. Is there anyone left out of that? Is there anyone who says, no, I'm not of the earth? Now, I will say this if aliens start showing up, we got to readdress this. Okay. If little green men start walking around, we'll come back and talk about this. But for now, he says, all the earth, right? That means everyone, even if God deserves your worship. He deserves you making a joyful noise to him because he is the king. And whether you realize it now or not, you are his subjects. I am his subject. And when the king shows up, a joyful noise goes out. Well, that, we'll get to this in just a second, but that must mean he's good. Because we don't make joyful noises for terrible people. Notice what he goes on to say, verse 2. Serve the Lord with gladness, come into his presence with singing. Command number two. First, command number one was make a joyful noise. Command number two is serve the Lord. And this serving is seen as worship, not begrudgingly. Listen, God, it reminds me that we have to be careful that we don't do as the, uh, those in Athens did in Acts chapter 17, verses 24 and 25. Paul's speaking, he's preaching to the philosophers in Athens... And one of the things he tells them is something that I think goes back to what we're reading here in Psalm 100. He says in Acts 17, I'll read it for you, verse 24, he says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, verse 25, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. What I don't want you to get from this word serve here is that somehow God is needy. This isn't like oh God needs a hand. He needs help. Because God doesn't need anyone to do anything for him. As Paul says, he's not he does not need to be served by human hands as though he was lacking something. When we serve God, we're not coming to him going, "Well, we got to help God out because he's, you know." No, we serve God. We serve the Lord with gladness because we love him. And it's our act of worship. Remember Romans chapter 12. Would someone turn to Romans 12 for me? Bible drill time? Will someone go to Romans 12 for me? I want you to read something. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. When you get there, someone read it when you get there. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Go ahead, read it for me, Donna. Uh, No, Romans 12. Do you notice what Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1? He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. It's, It's your rightful service to God. Your rightful service and sacrifice to God is to present your entire life to him. That is your reasonable service, considering what God's done for us. So what he tells us here in in Psalm 100 is serve the Lord with gladness. And that serving is an act of worship. Not because God needs something, but because we get to serve him. That's our sacrifice to him. Is we will give our entire lives for him. It's worship of him because he deserves it. And notice he says that we're to serve him with gladness. That means with joy. That means with pleasure. It doesn't, oh, all right, I'll serve God. If I have to. Man, this serving of God is with gladness. Why? Because he's a good king. And out of worship for him, we serve him with pleasure. Well, why would, someone, why would you serve with pleasure? Why, why would you serve God with pleasure? What has he done for you or me? And everything's a cheat. You can, everybody says everything. All right? That's a cheat word. You've got you to give me specifics now. Gave us eternal life. Is it hard to serve the king who laid down his life for you? Is it difficult to serve the king when he gave up everything? Is it hard to serve the king when he climbs up on the cross and dies? No. That serving of the king is with gladness because we have been set free. That's, That's the service to a king who has liberated you from slavery. When the king liberates you from slavery, the rightful act of worship is to serve him with gladness forever. Woo, that's the king. And he's worth that. So number one, make a joyful noise. Number two, serve the Lord with gladness. Number three, he says, come into his presence with singing. What? What? Isn't that the problem the Bible tells us exists throughout the whole thing? Is that we want to be with God, but we can't because we're sinners and he's holy. And here, God says worship is seen in coming into his presence with singing. Let me help you out, Christians in the room. What we're celebrating on Christmas morning is not just some cool stuff. We're not just celebrating some good teaching or some good feelings. What we're celebrating through this season is the truth that our God beckons us as the king to come into his presence. And that is done with singing. Uh, Has anybody, anybody ever read the book of Esther in the Bible? Anybody familiar with the book of Esther? Some of you, is it still sticky in there? Got to peel those pages apart. Let me walk through you real quick. There's one big issue that arises in the story of Esther going before the king Xerxes. And that is, you never went to the king unless he asked you to come. And the reason why Esther calls on the Jewish people to pray and to fast is because she's going to go before the king. And even as the queen, she wasn't supposed to go unless he called her. And she says, I want you to pray and fast, and then I'll go before the king. And maybe he'll be gracious. You know, our king... The king of the universe whom we serve, he beckons us to come into his presence. God's not saying, stay out for now, I need some time alone. Just just come back next week. No, the king we serve, the Lord God, he beckons us to come into his presence at all times. Well, how could we do that as sinners? Await by the blood of Jesus shed, Because like we noticed on Wednesday when we taught on the temple, when Jesus breathed his last on the cross and he died, the veil in the temple was torn. The veil that separated God from man was torn from top to bottom. So that we might have access to the King. And now we do as Christians. We have access to the king, and he beckons us to come into his presence. But I wonder how many times he's beckoning us to come, and we're like, later. I'll see you later. I'll be there later. This is the king who gave up everything for us. He died and rose again, and he says, come, my children. I don't know about you, but that's a gift that only Christ can give is access to the Father at all times. And he says we worship him by coming into his presence with singing. That's joyful too. Number four, he tells us in verse three, know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us. And we are his, notice we are his, notice we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. So number four, we're commanded to know that the Lord, he is God. So we're commanded to make a joyful noise, we're commanded to serve the Lord, we're commanded to come into his presence, and we are commanded to know that the Lord, he is God. This is more than just having intellectual knowledge about it, This this is an experiential I know he is God. And this is something that can only be brought in the heart of someone who has been changed. That we are to know that the Lord, he is God. It's amazing to me that we can know God at all. I mean, how big is he? He's huge. And the fact that we can know God at all is an absolute mark of his grace. Because God didn't leave us alone in the dark. But he brought the light of the knowledge of who he is through his son, Jesus. I'm telling you, the beautiful thing about Jesus is that he has revealed the Father to us in a way that has never been done before. Jesus was the exact representation of the Father to humanity. And the only reason we're able to know God is because God made himself known to us. This king doesn't sit lofty and distanced from the people. The king stoops to his subjects. He condescends himself willingly that we might know who he is. Can I help you this morning? Can I help me this morning? I don't want you to lose sight of the fact that God stooped to you. He didn't bow down to you. He condescended himself so that you might know him. He, he reveals himself in ways that you and I can understand. And that alone deserves worship forever. You could have never known God. I could have never known God. If he hadn't shown up and said, here I am. This is me. What we're celebrating over this season is not just that we get to, get to kind of know about God. It's the fact that we get to know God as our Father. Notice what he says we're to know about him. One, that he is, which means he exists. So if you're here this morning and you don't believe God exists, you got some explaining to do. Because there's a lot of stuff that don't make sense if there is no God. And primarily, you shouldn't really study the Bible then because it's all about the God who exists. He tells us right from the beginning, he is, not was, not, he is God right now, the only one. Not only that, he is God, which means he is the ruler, he's the king. If you want to know who's in charge of all this, it's him, because he's God. He is the God who made us. So no one made God, but he made us. Which means that if he's the king, then we are his subjects because he made us and he owns us. (laughs) God owns you. And he owns me too. We're his. Why? Because he made us. And when you make something, it's yours. Not only that, he says that we are his. Not only did he make us, but he says we're his. We're his possession. This is good news for orphans. For spiritual orphans, it's good news when someone shows up and says, You're mine. And as spiritual orphans, we were left to ourselves, and God showed up and He said, You're mine now. Not only did He make us, but we're His. We're His people. That means we're His nation, we're His citizens right? He's the king, it's his kingdom, and we're citizens of his kingdom. That's what it means when it says that we're his people. And not only that, but then I love this, because if God was just our king and we were just his citizens, then we would just walk around maybe with a kind of a cold-hearted feeling towards God, right? He's our king and we're his citizens, so we'll serve him. But notice what he says next, and the sheep of his pasture. Not only is he our king, he's our shepherd, which means he doesn't just rule over us, he cares for us. Oh, is it? Listen, is that good news? Is it good news that the God of all creation, of all the universe, who knows everything about you and me, He cares about you Amen. and me. <laughs> he's commanded us to worship Him, to know that He is the Lord. He is God. And we are His people. He implies in this that He's the shepherd. And how glorious that the God who created all things loves and cares for us in this way. Psalm 8, 4, the psalmist writes and says, What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Job echoes the same thing in Job chapter 7, verse 17. Job says, What is Man, that you make so much of him and that you set your heart on him. You know what should inspire worship in all of us every single day? Is contemplating that thought. What is man that you make so much of him and that you set your heart on him? Have you seen my life? Have you seen yours? Who are we that God would not only make us, but he would set his heart on us? Oh, folks, I don't know if we got much to celebrate that's greater than that. He is the God, and his heart is for us. Not only that, but he also goes on to give us, in verse 5, Another command. He says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. So number five, the command is to enter his gates and his courts with thanksgiving and praise. To me, these are two pictures of the access to God that Jesus has secured for us, right? Because when you think of gates, what do you think of? Right, and you also think about walls. Separations, right? There's some nice gated communities I'd like to get into, but I can't. They got gates, and you got to have the codes to get in. And so there's this picture of belonging to. There's this picture of access. And here God says, enter his gates with thanksgiving. So God beckons his people to enter his gates, access to him. And then he goes even further because he gives us that throne room view. He says, and his courts with praise. Again, the king says, come in. he beckons us to himself. And he says, enter my courts with praise. Will you only enter the courts with praise if the God, if the king is good? And we're singing joyfully to him because he is the rightful king and he is glorious. Oh, to be beckoned by the king to come. And just so you know... Usually the gates and the courts and the usually those were to keep out the unclean. Remember the even when they camped in the wilderness they had barriers. And if someone was unclean guess where they had to go? Outside the camp. This beckoning to enter his courts with praise, to enter his gates unclean people can't do that. Only clean people can. And that's not because we cleaned ourselves, but it's because God cleanses his people and he beckons us to come into his gates and his presence, never to be cast out again. Number six, look at this. Number six already. He tells us to give thanks to him. Again, that's another command. We are commanded to give thanks to God. Which, when you think about it, we should willingly be doing. Regularly be doing because he deserves thanks. When you say thanks to someone, you're you're, you're expressing gratitude for them. And God's always worthy of gratitude. God's always worthy of thanksgiving because not only of what he does for us, but because of who he is. He is the good, compassionate, loving God. And then number seven, bless his name. Oh, now I like to bless my name a lot of times. But we're called and commanded by God to bless his name. It means to speak of his excellence, it means to speak of his excellence. Listen, everywhere we go as Christians, guess what we should be found doing in worship of our God? Blessing his name everywhere we go. Speaking of his excellence every step we take in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our jobs, in our schools, in our church. We are to bless his name. And when you bless the name of God, you're not just blessing the title he's called by. The name of God refers to who he is. So to bless his name is to speak excellently about who he is, his character. It is to speak with excellency about the fact that God is compassionate and gracious and loving. He's also just and righteous. It's to speak with excellence about who he is. And sometimes we just like, well, God hasn't done much for me lately, so I I don't got much to say. You have reason to bless his name right now because of who he is. I have reason to bless his name right now because he is loving, compassionate, awesome, kind, gracious, merciful, just, righteous. All those things deserve speaking of. And God didn't save us so that we could be quiet and stand in the corner until he comes back. God saved us that we might proclaim and bless his name everywhere we go. To the ends of the earth. All right, everybody ready for this? Here it is, verse 5. For the Lord. All right, anytime you see the word for, it means God's usually explaining or giving you the basis for why he's asked you to do something. Okay, so he's given us seven commands. Make a joyful noise. Serve the Lord. Come into his presence. Know that he is God. Enter his gates. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. Four, because, because the Lord is good. Not because your bank account is in the, in the black. Not because your kids finally did what you told them to. Not to, for the Lord is good and He's good even when all that junk is happening. Yay, God, we have reason to worship Him and to continue because He is good. And if He is good, that means everything He does is good. It means everything He brings into your life is good. And he deserves praise for that. Make a joyful noise. Serve the Lord. Come into his presence. Know that he's God. Enter his gates. Give thanks to him and bless his name because the Lord is good. And he's good Whether everything's tanking around you or not. Can I remind you that in Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas are sitting in a prison in the middle of the night and they're singing praises to God. They're not singing praises to God uh, just simply because, uh, oh, our circumstances are great, so now we're going to praise him. They're in the middle of a prison. they got shackles on their legs. They're tired from being beaten and having to travel all over the place. They're probably exhausted out of their minds. And guess what they're found doing at midnight in the middle of the prison? They're praising God. Why? Because God is still God. He's still God good praise doesn't depend on how the bank account's going praise doesn't depend on how the job's going praise depends on who God is and the psalmist says he's good don't ever forget it he's good I cannot I can't forget he's good and he deserves deserves praise he deserves all that worship when life is doing this God's still good And you need to be reminded of it, and I need to be reminded of it when I'm bummed out or when I'm like, oh, the world's ending, the world's ending. I make a joyful noise. I serve the Lord. I come into his presence with singing. I know the Lord is God. I enter his gates. I give thanks to him, and I bless his name because he's good. And he always will be. He'll never change. And then he gives us a couple of descriptions of his goodness. Just in case you were blanking on how God is good. Notice what he says. His steadfast love endures forever. You want to know how I know God is good? Because he loves steadfastly. means he does not budge. Everyone else in your life, they will budge on love if you wrong them. Say the wrong word, do the wrong thing, and they will shun you. But the Lord, his love is steadfast. You want to know how God is good? He is steadfast in his love. And notice what the psalmist says. His steadfast love endures for a little bit. No. His steadfast love endures for a season. No. His steadfast love endures forever. Generation to generation to generation. After we are all long dead and gone. Guess what? God's love is still steadfast. And what we should desire as Christians is that multiple generations after us will know that he is steadfastly loving. And we're going to spend our time on this earth telling everyone about his steadfast love. That they might know him and they might worship him. Not only is he steadfast in love, but he also tells us his faithfulness to all generations. Do you want to know how God is good? His steadfast love endures forever And his faithfulness to all generations. Listen, if God could be unfaithful, then we have no reason to do any of these seven things. Because an unfaithful God does not deserve this stuff. But because he is faithful, remember? Because he's faithful, we can rest in his promises. And he's worthy of all that worship we just talked about. Because he is faithful to all generations. Guess what God's saying? What is God promising in that? He will never stop being faithful. And while we're sitting around like a bunch of gomers, chasing after everything else but him, God says, I am the faithful one. And I will keep you to myself. That is good news over Christmas. You know what I'm talking about? Presents will go away, right? Uh, yeah, that thing you love on Christmas morning, you're going to hate it like three months later. You're going to be like, I think it's so stupid. I can't believe I even like that, right? But God, He will endure forever, and His steadfast love will endure forever, and His faithfulness to all generations. Guess what? When all the toys are gone, and all the homes are gone, and all the cars are gone, and all the banks are shut down, guess what? God is still faithful to all generations. Woo doggy. And I'm telling you, God wants us to understand that his steadfast love and his faithfulness, they go together. You can't pull them apart. God is steadfast in his love because he's faithful, and he's faithful because he has steadfast love. They go together. You can't separate his steadfast love from his faithfulness. So much so that just in the Psalms, steadfast love and faithfulness are connected in Psalm 25, 10, 26, 3, 36, 5, 40, 10, 40 11, 57, 3, 57, 10, 61, 7, 69, 13, 85, 10, 86, 15, 88, 891, 892, 8914, 8924, 8933, 8949, 922, 983, 1084, 1151, 1172, and 138.2. All of those say that his steadfast love and his faithfulness go together. They make him God and they make him good. If you ever need to be reminded that God is worthy of worship this morning, it's because he is that kind of God. And there is no one like him. So for Christmas, in this season, I want you to look upon the God who is good. And you can know he's good to you and to me because his steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. While we've been unfaithful, he has been supremely faithful. When Jesus came, he was faithful even to all of those who were spitting on him and cursing him. And his love was steadfast to those who continued to mess up and mess up and mess up. Jesus displayed the steadfast love of the Father. And he displayed the faithfulness of the Father when he came and he lived and he died and he rose again. And he's the only one who can rescue us and bring us into this type of worship of God. To look on Jesus is to look on the good God. And what I want you to see this morning is I want every single one of us to look upon that good God. And to worship him in all of these ways, not begrudgingly, not because, oh, he just told me I have to do it, so i got to do these things. But we would, we would do all of these seven commands because our hearts sing in delight to our king. And you can't stop us from singing about how good he is. What this community needs is they need to see the beauty of Jesus. To look upon him and to say, yeah, he's worth it. He deserves that kind of worship. I want everyone to know that. I want everyone in this room, if you're here this morning and you don't believe God exists, I want to talk with you. I want to plead with you. I want to urge you to consider the truth of God's word that he is and that he is the God and there is no one but him and he's the one who not only creates but he's also the one who loves and shepherds us like his own children and I want you to see the beauty of him that he's not asking you to earn your way to heaven. He's telling you you can't. He's just asking you to trust in the finished work of Jesus on the cross that Jesus did everything needed to pardon you for your sin and I want you to trust in him alone and if you don't know what that means I want to ask you after the service to come and find me and I'll be happy to sit down with you as long as it takes but I'm urging you to do that today because we are not guaranteed a single second past this one and there is no time for delay you must trust in Jesus now you must trust in him now And and all the Christians in the room, I need you to worship God with everything you have. I am begging you and I'm pleading with you and with me that we'd stop looking at what we don't have and we'd start giving God the praise for who he is. And trust him that everything he brings is because he's good. And I want every Christian in this room to know that God is good, even if it doesn't feel like it sometimes. Everything he does is good. Trust him. Cling to him. And over the course of this season, let's, let's make it very clear that, that he's the reason we sing. And he's a great reason to sing. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for who you are. And God, I pray that you will cause me to love you more. God, I pray that I have been faithful to your word, and I pray that what people see in this place is Jesus. Lord, I pray they see you, and I pray, God, you will draw them to yourself. Woo them, God. By your word, draw them to yourself. By the work of your spirit, draw them, Lord, that they might trust in you. And Lord, help us as Christians to not be found begrudgingly giving you worship, but God, that we would sing joyfully in honor of who you are. God, help us to make a joyful noise to you. God, help us to serve you with gladness. God, help us to come into your presence with singing. Help us, God, to know that you are God. God, help us to enter your gates with thanksgiving and your courts with praise. God, help us to give you thanks in all things. Oh, God, help us to bless your holy name. Oh, God, you alone do these things and we give you great praise for them. Stir up in our hearts, God, a deep and abiding love for you take our wandering hearts and bind them to you that you might receive praise not just in the month of december but every day and every second work among your people god cause them to respond to your truth i ask it in jesus name